Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. First of all, it's like, that's David Bowie. Is that David Bowie? What's he doing? And then puts a gun in Jeff Goldblum's mouth and then scarpers off. So I think this is a bit more of a comedy than... Well, yeah, there's a, there's a knife fight, isn't there, in the... Yeah. Ho- in the it's really violent. And, and it just leaves it. And you don't know really, do you ever find out who wins that one? No. <laughs> no, not really. They're still I, fighting for all we know. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 83 of Flix Water Podcast. Today we're joined by Phil. Hello. And Nick. Hello. And Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Into the Night. Come find us on Twitter. Tweet to us. Agree with us. Disagree. We're at FlixWatcherPod. The website FlixWatcher.tv has full listings of each episode and subscribe and review us on iTunes. So all films were available on Netflix at the time recording, guys. Just as a bit of a warning, there is some bad language and there will be spoilers. You have been warned. Hello and welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. In the studio today, we have our two brothers. We have Nick and Phil. If you would like to say hello to our lovely listeners and tell us a little bit more about where we might be able to hear your voices or know what you do. Hello, I'm Nick. Um, I work for Empire Magazine. I do the uh, features over there. Um, I'm also writing a book. Yeah. which will come out at some point. Um, working title is Wild and Crazy Guys, and it's kind of a, a romp through 80s comedy history. Um, and I've interviewed lots and lots of people, including John Landis, the director of this film. This film we're talking about today. Although this is not a comedy, so this does not get... Is it not a comedy? It's got comedic moments. Okay. But I would not define it as a comedy. Because when you have Jeff Goldblum on, on film, there's no way there's not some comedic aspects there. Exactly. There, there are some funny moments in this film, uh, but overall, it, it's a weird, it's a really weird one. I mean, we'll get into it, but I maybe yeah. it is a comedy. In my mind, it's not. Um, definitely want to know when that comes out. Uh, Helen and I are big fans of the uh, Life Moves Pretty Fast book by Hadley Freeman, is it? Yep. Um, yes, yeah, you someone we want to get on this on the show. We're big fans of the 80s and... Films. Uh, yeah, and films <laughs> and 80s films. I've never heard of this one before. Uh, sorry, go to yourself. First Hello. We'll go into this. Um, I'm Phil. Um, I w- I'm the global film editor at Time Out. Nice. And I was previously at Empire Magazine, which is not where I met Nick because he's my brother, and that's not how it works. We knew each other from before that, um, <laughs> but we haven't seen each other. We haven't seen each other for a while, so we'll just try and rein ourselves back in from just random family chat. Um, I haven't met John Landis actually, but I did interview Jeff Goldblum not too long ago for Ragnarok or anything different. No, not for Ragnarok. I think it was for... I can't believe I've forgotten this. It was after Isle of Dogs. Not, not for the statue across the Thames or anything like that. Um, wait, what was it for? Because it was a film that he's not majorly big in. Jurassic, um, World, Jurassic, Jurassic World. Exactly right. Fallen Kingdom. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which yeah. is in for all of um, about what, 47 seconds, yeah. seconds, I think. Slightly in the extended yeah. cut, th- yeah. but 38 <laughs> otherwise. Um, so that was a weird one because obviously, yeah. But um, so, yeah, that's me really. Cool. And we're talking about Into the Night, which is your choice there, Nick. Can you uh, explain to us what happens in it? You've got two minutes synopsis and also 
then tell us why you bought brought this to us. I can try and explain the plot. To be honest, I'm not sure I completely get it. It's it's one of those films like The Big Sleep um, that is quite hard to pin down exactly what's happening in it. And I, I'm not sure I completely got all the threads even on, on my third viewing, which this was. Um, but I just I just find it fascinating. It's such an interesting cast. Um, it's hard to define in terms mm. of genre. Um, it's got Jim Henson in it, yeah, which it, n- not many films can say. Um, and it's just really interesting. Just a really strange film. Especially for John Landis, um, who is famous for his quite broad comedies. And this isn't really a comedy. It's kind of a noir. It's a very Los Angeles film, goes all over LA. Um, and it's a bit like Scorsese's After Hours. It's mm. well, Actually, this is over two nights, but it's just this crazy journey into the underworld through the eyes of this character. And um, I think it's a great Goldblum performance too. So you haven't explained who the characters are or who... I haven't who... done any of that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've done a terrible job so far. But um, so this, the hero of the story is Ed, who is, um, he does a boring job. He's an aerospace engineer or something like that. Um, he's got a terrible marriage. Uh, his wife is cheating on him. And he decides to do something random. Dan Aykroyd suggests to him that he go to the airport, take a plane to Vegas and uh, have an adventure. He makes it to the airport, but there he meets Michelle Pfeiffer. And he gets drawn into this mystery uh, involving, I think, seven emeralds. And he's being chased around by some bad guys who include John Landis himself. Yeah. And David Bowie is in it. There's too much to describe, but <laughs> that's, the, that's, the broad, that's the broad outline. So you said you've watched this three times. Um, how many times have you watched it, Phil? I've watched it once. Before this? Or I feel just... like I probably need to watch it another four times before we could <laughs> contribute meaningfully to this discussion. Um, I'd never, I'll be honest, I'd never, my, um, my brother has always been, a, a, this is very much in his wheelhouse, he's always been a huge, um, passionate aficionado of sort of 80s yeah. movies of this of this kind, but I'm not... Hence writing a book about 80s. Yeah, well, that not, would be, yeah, is... I've just got wise to that fact, yeah, that would be, that would certainly be a factor. Um, and I'm not, I'm not perhaps quite as um, au fait with, with some of these sorts of movies, in fact, I wasn't really aware of this film until yeah. until we had this um, discussion, which I feel bad about because it is a really interesting film. And, and also like, um, pub quiz trivia question as well, which I I didn't, didn't know. I'm I'm sure Nick will elaborate on that shortly. Um, so no, uh, for me, uh, first time discovery really. And, um, I don't want to say too much more than that because I feel like Nick hasn't unfurled his full feelings for the film yet, but I, I feel, I feel like interesting. Yeah. Definitely a real curio. I should say it was Chris Hewitt, one of my colleagues at Empire, who first uh, drew my attention to this. I first watched it with him. Yeah. And it's his favourite Jeff Goldblum performance. And we got to meet Jeff at the end of last year for a podcast. And um, Chris brought this up with him. Actually, Chris said, guess what my favourite performance of of yours uh, I have. And Jeff guessed it somehow. That He said into the night. I do actually remember that. Actually, It was one of those things I just thought, never heard of it. And then... It kind of fell into straight either. out the years. Yeah, but now you know it's, it's, actually, it's also quite like a non-event name as well. Yeah, and and it's actually uh, just come out on Blu-ray as a special collector's edition thing, which uh, Goldblum has done new interviews for. I haven't actually seen that yet, but I'm gonna. So how have we all missed? Have you seen this before, Helen? No, because it's John Landis, Michelle Pfeiffer, Jeff Goldblum. You've got Dan Aykroyd there. Bowie, Bowie's Bowie. in there. How have we all missed this like, film? Because we're all '80s kids, I think. Are we? No. Wait, <laughs> 1880s. Um, no, no, I'm, I'm a child of. Well, no, I guess I'm a. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Look, I queued up. I queued up at the Gerald's Cross Odeon to watch Ghostbusters when it came out. So that is yeah. my era. But I don't know. I think probably because I was maybe a bit young for this. Because it's quite a violent film, it's a isn't deep, it? Mm. 
And it's surprisingly violent in ways mm. because the, the tonally, the only thing it's going to be. And then you're kind of like, whoa, okay, that just happened. Mm. And that was unexpected. Even within that a guy's single head's scene. Pouring blood. Okay. Yeah, there's the scene where the three Iranian bad guys, one of whom is played by Landis, are chasing the girl around on the beach. And yeah. it's played like a Keystone Cops kind of comedy mm. sequence. And then they drown her. <laughs> I, 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 that's, it's so funny you say that because that was the bit where I just sat there and I was just like, I don't know what this film is. Because <laughs> there is literally a double take moment where there's the there's, are there three of them or four of them. Three of them. It's kind of mystery. They were oh. shades and beards and Landis has got the big beard on. and Maybe four, yeah. Yeah. And, and um, she is a... I mean, she's the, what, she's the sister of Michelle Pfeiffer, is she? Just a friend. Oh, just yeah. a friend. Yeah. But she's the sort of innocent patsy in the situation. And, and, and they, they, you know, he stops to like watch them all sort of take their watches off and, and he plays it for laughs. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's quite funny. And then they literally drown her. And you're just sitting there going, um. Yeah. yeah it's, mean, it's rare you see a drowning in, in film or TV. I can't think of one that uh, springs to mind. It's grim. Yeah, it's, it's really a, grim. Yeah, and that scene with the, the the dog in the lift as well. Yeah, when they're just shooting animals, and <laughs> and, and John Landis shoots some, some parrots as well at one point, and you're just like, that's kind of funny, but really dark. And actually, it's interesting. Like, if you look at the place in John Landis's filmography, mm. it comes. This comes a couple of years after Twilight Zone, the movie, which um, you may know was uh, kind of beset by tragedy. And um, John Landis's segment of the film uh, had this major accident on set where uh, three of the actors, two children and Vic Morrow were decapitated um, on what? set. I didn't know this. Yeah. So this was a huge thing that happened. John Landis wasn't there, but he was taken to court. There was a big trial that dragged on right through the 80s. Um, and this film was his first film after Twilight Zone, the movie. And... Um, I think he was in a pretty dark place. I mean, I've, I've spoke to him about it last year and he said that the 80s was a very dark time generally for him. Really? Yeah, even The Three Amigos, he was at court. He had to edit that during the night because he was at court during the day with this long trial that was going on. And so this film kind of plays a little bit like a reaction to that, I think, that he was going through a lot of, there was a lot of stuff going on. And it's quite a dark, weird, paranoid, sort of edgy film. Is that like Spielberg's... Uh... Temple of Doom. Was it Temple of Doom when he was... When he was going through a divorce. Yeah, you can sort of feel that a bit in the bones of the film. Mm. But yeah, and also the, the Goldblum character. The thing, the thing I sort of str slightly struggle with about this, because Goldblum is, is depressed, isn't he? His wife's having an affair, he stumbled upon this. Hates but his job, can't sleep. Hates his job. And he's so the antithesis of the Goldblum we know and love now, the mm. sort of like live wire, eccentric, esoteric dude. He's very glum. And nothing really breaks through that veneer apart from maybe the sparks with Pfeiffer's character at times. But even at the end, he's still depressed. He's kind of like defends from falling down on Mogadon, isn't he? He's kind of just <laughs> really low energy. And, and, and I slightly struggle with that because he's, he's playing, it's like a 45 RPM film and he's playing it like 33 mm. a little bit. And it just, it sort of feels a bit, I don't know, it just saps the energy a little bit, I thought his performance. But mm. you feel differently? No, I, I, I do kind of agree. Originally, uh, Gene Hatman was going to be in this was film. Cast, okay. So Landis wanted Hackman. Yeah. Hackman said no. Um, then the head of the studio said, you have to cast someone from The Big Chill because that had just been a big film for the studio. Right. And so Landis looked at the cast for The Big Chill and was like, maybe Kevin Kline. Uh, and then he ended up going with Goldblum because he thought he was the most interesting of the cast. And so Goldblum just kind of got cast in this randomly almost. But I think it's an interesting performance. It's not entirely, it's not the most... Uh, exciting Goldblum performance, but it's something different. He's acting quite hard. <laughs> is he? I don't know. Instead of just being Jeff Goldblum as he is in lots of other films, is that what you, yeah. that what you're saying? What, uh, um, let's go to Helen. What, what were your thoughts on it? 
I mean, dark, weird and interesting, I think, are three words that definitely sum this up. Um, I mean, I guess this is sort of an audition for The Fly then, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting. David Cronenberg is in this film. Yeah. So uh, he plays... Um, who, what? So did you not play Spot the Directors when you were watching it? Well, yeah. I saw Jim Henson. I didn't realise it was John Landis until the until the final credits um, when it showed when it showed all the th- uh, four Iranian guys in a row. But I didn't know... Me neither. Well, there's obviously Cronenberg's in it as well and Amy Heckling's in it as well. And then there are a few other ones that mm. I'm not familiar with and didn't recognise, but there's quite a few. I Jonathan, Jonathan Demi, uh, director of Science of Lambs, yeah. plays an FBI agent at the end. Okay. Uh, there's tons. It's actually a bit of a Landis trademark to put directors in his films, but this one does it more than any one others. Most. Lawrence Kasdan, Kasdan, Carl Gottlieb, Carl Gottlieb, R- Roger, Roger, Jaws, Roger yeah. Vadim, he did Barbarella, Paul Mazursky. So who are these people? You just and what, what do they play? Random, in the, just random one line characters. Some of them. Okay, it's kind of cool that it's a film about LA and a film about kind of Los Angeles, and all you've got all these directors all over the film yeah it, it, i don't know it kind of adds to the weirdness of it oh um, i wish he put walter hill in then you could have literally called it where's wally that <laughs> <laughs> would have worked um it, i found it like it's great there are moments when it's just a bit like the, you're just doing it for the sake of it the amy heckling bit where she's in a waitress in a diner and the, the camera cuts to her for literally no other reason than she's the connector uh, you know the director of um of Fast Times at Richmond. Exactly. Fast, Fast Times, Times at Richmond High. High, yeah. Um I'm not sure what I think about this film. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, because watching it, I just thought, okay, Jeff Goldblum, Michelle Pfeiffer, there must be a reason why I haven't heard of this film. Mm. And I just think it has kind of fallen under the radar. And because it's an eighties film, um, what was the film we watched? Uh, yeah, like Midnight Run. Yeah, well, I was going to bring that up because they both got the same airport ending. So <laughs> Midnight Run came after, True. but with left violence, but it's very, very, very similar ending. Yeah. And also a slightly similar weird buddy mm. on the run kind of, kind of film. film. It reminded but, me of Midnight Run too, mm, yeah. But, mm. but without the funnies. Because <laughs> the first time I'd heard of Midnight Run and even seen it was when someone brought it to this podcast. And... It's a straight. Lots of people seen it lots of times. You, you'd seen it lots of times in the in the eighties. So I thought for this, I thought Into the Night might be one of those films where, for some reason, it just passed me by. And my parents thought, nope, you're too mm. too young for this. Um, but it just didn't. It just didn't. So it seems like not many people have seen it. Yeah, I can kind of see why. It's <laughs> not for everyone. Um, Edgar Wright played this, uh, I think, at the New Beverly in LA right. not that long ago. He's a massive fan of it. It's, this is actually Joe Dante's favourite John Lennon I think it's, it's, it's a random f- fact. <laughs> it's a director's film, isn't it? Very mm. much, I think, with the sort of the guess who's and the, it's sort of about LA, but not about LA. Yeah. And there's a fake film in it. and Yeah. The, fa- the fake film scene, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was... Interesting and a bit arbitrary, <laughs> but interesting. And then you get like Goldblum slapstick. Yeah. Again, slightly out of incongruous with the rest of what's happening necessarily. But he keeps, he keep, he doesn't learn the lesson about, you know, stunt props and <laughs> rocks that are made of, he keeps sitting on things that collapse <laughs> from underneath him and then go falling through a wall. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of fun, but a bit different from the rest of what, what goes on in his performance. So Michelle Pfeiffer in this, um, she was, this is post Grease 2. <laughs> um, is this pre Scarface or post Scarface? Post Scarface. Scarface. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she's on the way to being bankable. Ni- 1985. So 
before midnight run as well. It's a slightly thankless role in a way. I don't know. What do you guys think? There's a, there's a weird bit of nudity in it. There is. Yeah. There's a lot of nudity say, in this film. There's a lot of boob action. Yeah. Which <laughs> this is like really 80s. Get that much anymore. Because we talked in Midnight Room, we had the 80s thing of the one punch knockout, which is, yeah, smash, you give someone a light tap in the face and they're going to fall over. Um, in the 80s, you had just a lot of casual female nudity for no reason whatsoever. The, uh, the woman on the boat. Yeah, the woman on the boat. She's. Why not? And the woman yeah. that came out of the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> so now it's just like that's obviously what ladies did in the 80s yeah you just think like how did this happen um that's just what people do on boats yeah you know, whenever i go on a boat just take my clothes off to be fair he was he was topless as well the the main True. the main big guy he was big <laughs> <laughs> um but michelle i just didn't i didn't really get what i didn't really get what she was doing and i didn't really get why jeff goldblum was helping her because it's not really a wrong is it a rom-com is it, is it, are they falling in love? Are they getting to know each other? Are they, I don't know. There's just lots of weird things that didn't really I mean, get we, answered. And her brother is an Elvis impersonator. Her brother's an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> <laughs> is it completely out? Is it completely zany to compare it with like Romancing the Stone and, and not as much, not tonally, I but don't just know. the plot of like she's got, she's smuggling diamonds back from Iran, something to do with the Shah of Iran, which mm. would have presumably been topical at the time. And then there's Iranian death squad. And then... But maybe so, David Lynch gets involved in some point and then leaves the project, but his yeah, darkness yeah. is still left there and <laughs> someone else it picks it up. It felt like Lynch definitely didn't yeah. pass on the scripts at some point. Like the Bowie, <laughs> the Bowie scenes were so like weird. They were like straight out of Twin Peaks in a way. They were, and it sounded like... He sounded like David Brent. It sounded exactly, exactly like David <laughs> Brent. I was, and I thought he was playing it for laughs as well. First of all, it's like... That's David Bowie. Is that David Bowie? What's he it's, doing? And then puts a gun in yeah. Jeff Goldblum's mouth and then scarpers off. So I think this is a bit more of a comedy than. Oh yeah, there's a the, there's a knife fight, isn't there? In the yeah. ho- in the it's the really apartment. violent, and, and it just leaves it, and you don't know. Really, do you ever find out who wins that one? No, <laughs> no, not really. They're still I, fighting for all we know. They I could still be Bowie to come back, but um, no. I like that scene where they're going through the hotel and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is playing on the. On the TV. Yeah, with Jeff Goldblum. And it's this strange kind of horror comedy kind of, it's a very dark scene and they go in and all the dead bodies are on the on the floor. Um, but yeah, I don't know why. why. <laughs> yeah, Bowie's slaughtered everyone, isn't yeah. he? I forgot about that. He's literally killed all these people I don't, who have nothing to do with any of it, really. But I enjoyed that Bowie was really impressed by Goldblum and thought he was some real expert like criminal yeah it's like who are you who do you belong to <laughs> I wanted more of that that would have been fun if if everyone was assuming that this guy was a, a criminal genius when he's not but um yeah it's a, it's a weird one I kind of picked it just because it's interesting and yeah um, well this is what this is the kind of thing that Netflix is kind of good for yeah someone like you say someone would have said in your case Chris Hewitt says have you seen Into the Night and you're like no well it's on Netflix and then you can go and watch it like straight away Whereas back in the 80s, you, A, if a film came out, you'd have to wait two years if you were in the UK before it came out on VHS. VHS. And then B, um, you probably wouldn't Sky be able to... in the 90s if it happened to be on Sky. But I don't even remember seeing this like on Film 4 or anything like that. No. that or on like BBC 2 at half past 11 or anything like that. No, it's a deep cut. For sure. <laughs> it's, a, it's the deepest of cuts. There's a lot of BB King in this film. There is. It's his, it's his uh, theme tune over, isn't it? So the way that, the, yeah, the way the soundtrack was done for this film is really odd, apparently, because I read a BB King interview. Right. And um, Landis gave him the film and said, just just play the guitar, like just watch the film. 
and play your guitar. And so that's what he did. He just made it up as he went along. I mean, that doesn't and surprise me. It kind of goes with the, the film, which feels like they're making it up as they go along. Like, there's no real structure. There's no real, you know, there aren't payoffs to certain things. And no. so he literally just stood in front of a screen and, and did it a couple of times. Um, the music video is an interesting an interesting uh, fact. Go, go onto YouTube right. and find the video for this, Into the Night, B.B. King, um, because it's got some amazing cameos in it. It's um, it's BB King. It's Goldblum on piano, right? Eddie Murphy on drums. Why not? And then on uh, on horns, it's um, Steve Martin, Dan Aykroyd, and Michelle Pfeiffer. So a lot of people who aren't even in the film. People who <laughs> Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy. I don't know what they were just hanging in, hanging in the area. Out. Yeah, it'd be poor of us not to mention um, Bruce McGill as yes. the Elvis. The film needed a bit more of him. I think it's a furious Elvis impersonator. Yeah, because you, when you go into the room, you're really not quite sure yeah. what what's going on there, and you're like, oh. I'm still not sure. <laughs> so she said that this is her, her brother, brother. Yeah. yeah, and Michelle Pfeiffer's character is staying. I feel like we're going on a journey through the plot here, which is really helpful to me because I don't really know quite what was happening. But she's trying to crash with him, and he's out, and then he comes back, and he's dressed as with Elvis, yeah, all rhinestones and rage, and he's just really angry. <laughs> And that's his thing, I think. And then they leave and then you don't really see him again. But Well, you don't, well, you come back to his apartment and everything's been turned over yeah. and we don't know where he is. We don't know if he's safe. In Graceland. Or, yeah. Is he dead? He could be. In the toilet. They didn't go yeah. to the bathroom. He, he died to the bathroom. on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I like that his sidekick had, he, he, his sidekick was kind of the Hawaiian shirt Elvis, the young Elvis. Oh, is that and what it was? was I, I think so. And he was, the chief. <laughs> so maybe they were taking turns. They were taking shifts. At wherever they were working, <laughs> it's unclear where they were, and what they were up to. There's that really bizarre taxi sort of car chase as well, with the confusion in the parking lot. Yeah, get the fuck out of my cab. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that. that's right. The cab driver picks them up when they they really stitch up the cab driver, don't they? Because they're about to be killed by the Iranian hit squad, death squad. He went the extra mile, and they jump in the cab, and the guys, like, and then suddenly he's being shot at. If he was Uber, he would definitely earn his. He earned his, his five, five stars. stars. Yeah, whilst giving you one star, <laughs> and then dive bombing your ratings. Gosh damn yeah. it! There's, yeah, there's a few kind of like non, just like scenes that don't that stand alone and don't get like the Elvis scene and um, not the scene, but the at the start, Dan Aykroyd is only in it for like two minutes, which is such a weird thing when he. You, at that point, he was probably peak Aykroyd. Was this after Blues Brothers? Mm. So it's after Blues Brothers, it's John Landis. After that, Ghostbusters as well. After Ghostbusters. So you think Dan Aykroyd's going to be in this for a fair while. And it's just, it's just, it's just <laughs> not. Maybe two days on set probably for this. Um, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a mad cast list, but you do kind of want more from, um, maybe they should have done Into the Night again and just had Goldblum. But he kind of, there's a nice arc for him, I guess, that he his insomnia seems to be cured. It does. That's nice, isn't it? That's the happy ending. Yeah. At first you think she's disappeared. She gives him some money, which is fair. And then are they going, Are they happily ever after? <sighs> hard, to, hard to say, really. It's, a bit, it's, um, it's an ambiguous, ambivalent, ambiguous. ambiguous. <laughs> I didn't feel like there's a lot of chemistry there. There would have been less, I think, with Gene Hatman. <laughs> that had been a very different film if... If it had been Gene Hatman and he ends up walking into the sunset with Michelle Pfeiffer, I think that would have been weird. So we, we were talking about when we did Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which is the film that um, both of you were would have vied to have chosen. <laughs> yeah. Do you know who was first cast, um, who was originally cast? The, well, the original once for it. Yeah. Um, I do. 
but I'm forgetting. I know Tom Cruise was considered. What? Yeah. Oh, for Steve, for oh, Steve Martin's on. role. So Mick Jagger, it was Mick Jagger and David Bowie. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's a completely different film. That would, I'd watch that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd watch it. Um, I think they should still do it. Oh, well, no, obviously can't because <laughs> one of them's dead. <laughs> They're CG. They're CG. CG. We've seen with... Uh, I mean, maybe they could piece some of this performance in it somehow. Hmm. And well, we're going to see that with the next Star Wars film, aren't we? With, with uh, Princess Leia. They've said they're not going to use CG for that. They're just using oh, existing That's footage. what I'm saying. They're stitching it. Oh, stitching. stitching. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Is it? <laughs> I think it's about time maybe. Have we got more stuff? Oh, I just... We have more stuff. Yeah, go on. <laughs> so that scene at the beginning, what, what, what went on there? No, I just wanted to say that um, I'm glad I watched it. Yeah. Um, so thanks, Nick, for, 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 uh, for flagging this one. Um, and also that Jeff Goldblum, like it feels like his... Because now you feel like, as I said, there's this kind of live wire, sparky, eccentric, mm. often mathematical genius, Jeff Goldblum. Um, loved him in Thor Ragnarok. But back then, it was a much more sober, and, like, and it says, you know, acting, um, embodying character, different different sort of range, a slightly more mute, muted range. Um, and there's just some real gold in those, in those early performances. Yeah. And he, was in, he, he did weirdly small roles in brilliant, in straight up masterpieces, didn't he? Like... Um, well, the first time I saw him was um, The Tall Guy yeah, with Emma Thompson. I used to love that film as a kid. Mm. I, think, I shouldn't maybe not watch it as a kid, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I used to watch it quite a lot. Um, of these, of the three main, I guess, people involved in this, in this production, Jeff Goldblum, Michelle Pfeiffer and John Landis, where would you kind of rank this in their, in their kind of film canon for, for each of them individually? Crikey. Near the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's better than the stupids if we're talking John Landis, right? Um, but you know, it, Blues Brothers is my favourite of his. Okay, and then I think you got coming to it. You got to be realistic. There's, he made a lot of very good films. Absolutely, I think this is in the lower half. Um, but it's um, it's better than Blues Brothers two thousand, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's probably not in my top five Goldblum performances either. But it's it's not far outside of that. Sure. Deep Cover is another good, serious Goldblum performance. Yeah, I was going to say that from that era, you know, check out Deep Cover as a as another deep cut. <laughs> Hopefully, got the word deep in the title. <laughs> Bill Duke's um, thriller. How about you? I think for all of them, it's kind of lower. Although I don't know much, I don't know as much uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, but I can't imagine this is high in her in her favorite films that she started in herself. I, I I do really like Grease too. <laughs> but it's just one of those things as a kid I used to watch it shit loads of times Cool Rider Cool Rider yeah and it's still that reproduction song <laughs> <laughs> is that your favourite Michelle it was my it was my no I think my favourite um, Dangerous Minds is that the one that's the Coolio one yeah I'm trying to think I can't think any, of any other Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman yeah Catwoman was awesome Fabulous Baker Boys yes yes this is lower down there um, John Landis I think my favourite is Three Amigos Great film. Yeah. Um, Phil, Helen. Um, I mean, I'm not mega fans of all of them, really. Um, What's wrong with Goldblum? No, I mean, I like him, but I'm not... Landis? No, I'm not a mega, mega fan. Um, yeah. So you can't rate him? Phil? No. I'm a super huge fan of Blues Brothers. Yeah. And Three Amigos. Um, I wouldn't put this anywhere near those <laughs> uh, at all. Um... <laughs> Uh, I love Jeff Goldblum. I was going to say, you know, um, 
this isn't one of my favorite of his performances. Yeah. As I probably mentioned before, it just felt a bit low energy. And I'm not sure it really plays to his strengths for me, which are, which is that, you know, he's sparky. Yeah. He very much, I think part of the problem is he's a de- depressed character and depressed characters are tough to embody and write and they aren't necessarily cinematic. And mm. that kind of, that kind of low energy uh, existential funk that he <laughs> inhabits throughout the film, I feel just isn't, doesn't, didn't really capture me. Mm. Actually, right. I will, uh, I, I, the fly Goldblum. The fly I really Goldblum. like him in that. Yeah. You never know. You may, we may not have got the fly without this film. That could have been yeah. where, where he bumped into Cronenberg. And I just want to say, when I watched this again, this time, for the first time I spotted uh, something in the Cronenberg scene, he plays He's, the kind of, the guy scanners. doing a presentation. He says scanners. He says scanners. No. He does. This is after scanners. So I think that's a little injury. No, no. Okay. And last thing I want to say before I shut up is um, if you keep an eye out, an eagle eye out, you'll spot a poster for uh, something called See You Next Wednesday in the movie studio scene. That is another John Landis trademark. It's an imaginary film right. that appears in lots of his films. Lots of his films. So that's a little in-joke as well. Nice. Yeah, the scanner's bit. I was like, oh, 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 that's clever. <laughs> what would have been great is all the directors I've have had to name down. check at least yeah. one of their films in their scenes. So, Carl Gottlieb would have had to have said Jaws somehow. Yeah. Mm. Well, Jonathan Demme plays an FBI agent, so I feel like that's yeah. a nod uh, to a film that he wouldn't make for another set like six yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it inspired him. Maybe this film like is it's, responsible for lots of other better well, films. I but so. I, I'm, I hope you guys are happy that you at least saw it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at the inter- some of the some of the DVD covers and CD covers for tonight uh, kind of allude to La La Land. You've got the purple background. <laughs> so you're saying we wouldn't have had La La Land. Exactly, this is yeah. what I'm saying. Um, it's interesting there's a, when you do that Google image search, Game Night pops up. <laughs> no, but I think it's it's like After Hours and it's one of those people going on a, normal people going on a, a crazy shaggy dog story yeah. at night in a city. And maybe Game Night is inspired by this in some way. Precisely. I think it's time to head to the scores. To the scores. So these are uh, non-painted as yet, but soon to be, maybe, Flixwatch scores. Mm. All the scores are out of five, and you can go to decimal places. The lowest you can go is a zero. Yeah. And (laughs) (laughs) we'll start with you, Nick, as it's your choice, um, with the recommendability. Well, I have to... (laughs) I'll give it three because I have recommended it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can't change my mind now. It's a film. I mean, I'll give it a two. Um, Helen? Um, I'm going to give it a three. It is it is interesting. It is weird. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that... I think I'm glad I watched it. You think you're glad? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, and d- definitely for any kind of Goldblum fans and you haven't seen it, then you should definitely watch this. Yeah. I think... Um, as fans of 80s films of Goldblum, Landis and Pfeiffer, yeah, you should watch it. I'm not going to rate it that highly because I just don't, I just find him, I found it odd. I found it odd to watch. Um, I'm going to go two and a half, straight down the middle. Uh, repeat viewing score. Nick, you've seen it three times now. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I was still spotting things on the third time. <laughs> and I actually... So you're enjoy- watching it for all those deep cuts that are hidden, yeah, just hidden little, layers. Little, I wouldn't say I enjoy it, but I'm intrigued by it yeah. as a kind of student, of, as a kind of someone who's into film and likes the director and stuff. Um, so I'd say quite highly for repeat viewing. I think you get more out of it. Okay. Uh, that might just be Stockholm Syndrome, but um, I'm going to give it four. Phil? Um, I'm going to give it not four. 
I'm going to give it one. So you, I'm not, not, it's not a film I'm going to revisit, but as I said earlier, I'm definitely glad that Nick introduced it to me. It is a, a, an interesting film. So I don't regret in any way watching it, but I don't think I'll be going back. <laughs> Helen. I'm also going to go with the one. At one hour 55, it's quite a yeah. long film for not that much is happening. So it's a lot of time for me to give up again on something so weird. I mean, I may watch it again, but unlikely. Yeah, I'm um, in that reason. I reckon 1.5-ish, 1.5. I can't see myself watching it again, but I don't know if it comes on before Jeff Goldblum does his pratfalls and stuff like that. <laughs> I might stay and watch that before Dancing Out of the Room. Um, but yeah, yeah, I can't, I just can't think of when I'd do it. It is the kind of film that will be on telly next week. You realize yeah. it'll just appear. Um, small screen score, do you want an explanation of this? Sure. Sure. Uh, so small screen score, films that have a, um, a low small screen score tends to be the films that you want to watch. You feel that you wish to watch in the cinema. Um, for me, the classic one is, well, it's Gravity. I've never watched that on a small screen or a TV. I don't see the, it'll, it'll be yeah, the worst that, thing that ever. That would be a zero, wouldn't it? Yeah, a small pretty much screen. a zero. And then a lot of documentaries, I guess, really work well on Netflix. So small screen is like TV sized laptop um, kind of size. So this, the more appropriate you think it is for small screen, the, the higher the score. Yeah, I, I don't think this is a, this is a sort of essential see it on a big screen experience, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Unless you're, you know, you're really into close up to Jim Henson. But um I watched this late at night and I think that's the best place, uh, the best time to do it. So I'll say um, better on the sc small screen. So is that a four? Yeah, it's a high. It's four. a high one. Yeah, four. four. Okay. Um, Phil? I probably, yeah, it's fine on the small screen. Absolutely. Um, I feel like at four, that feels weird. But yeah, four. <laughs> Why not? A four, the same. I mean, it's perfectly suited. And again, it's one of those films that has just kind of escaped us and there it is on Netflix. So yeah. if it's escaped you, it is there. Yeah, I'm going to go for a four. And sometimes when we talk about this, we think about the kind of collected experience watching it in the cinema uh, as part of that. Um, but I don't think, if I'd watched this in the cinema, I don't think I would have got anything from being around other people enjoying or not confusion. the film. Yeah. yeah. Edgar Wright claimed that the, <laughs> that the crowd went wild for it. I would like to have seen that. I don't know who these people are. Maybe they're massive Paul Mazursky fans. Um, but I, yeah. Um, engagement score. How engaged were you whilst watching it? Were you feeling the need to read Twitter, Wikipedia, IMDb? Were you falling asleep and not caring? I'll be honest. <laughs> it's a tough one to concentrate on. I've got to give it to. Yeah. Sorry. Phil. Um, I'm going to give it also going to give it to yes not engaged there were you, I mean, were you IMDBing or were you doing other I, stuff well look I was I was not that engaged and then I got your email with a detailed briefing notes about what we were supposed to talk about and I suddenly became quite engaged and focused on the film and taking notes did I send an email whilst you're watching it <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're reading uh, emails no not exactly <laughs> I exaggerate but um, no look I, it's 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 a kind of an, it's like the existential film and quite an existential watch mm. too it takes you to a slightly weird headspace um, I kind of wrote down that it was a semi-neo-noir existential comedy caper thriller and I guess that's probably how I would describe it but with an emphasis on the existential part so yeah I would say a little engaged yeah. in a sort of philosophical way that's the Netflix category by the way <laughs> yeah I bet it is yeah yeah uh, Helen uh, I'm going to go 2.5 a little bit higher um, I mean it does drag in places um, yeah. and it is too long um, 
but yeah, you know, I kind of wanted to find out what happened at the end, um, yeah, yeah. but it's a good one for a bit of a IMDB spiral and yeah, you don't really need to get into that. You don't need to be focused on the film to kind of absorb it, do you? And I, yeah, I was, I was, again, I was looking through the, all the other back catalogs for all the actors and, and director whilst watching it thinking, what, how have I missed this? It's still going back to the, how did I miss this kind of action? Um, I'm going to go for maybe less than you, 1.5. Yeah, when I got to 45 minutes, I paused it and then yeah. saw that I still had an hour and a bit left to go. Yeah. It's... And that kind of made my heart sink a bit, to be honest with you. It's baggy. Interesting scenes, sort of with long stretches of inertia between yeah. them. I do like the fact that the credits have that, you know, is there a term for it where you have, where it cuts to the characters doing things? Yeah. You know, <laughs> backseat. And always... then it does, like you say, it does have, you, you do realise that that was actually John Landis yeah. playing one of the movies I didn't notice up to that point. I always appreciate but, it when films do that. Yeah, it's great. I think more films should do that. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, that gives us an overall score of 2.62. Hold on, we have got some comments from Twitter, by the Avengers way. would be six days long if they did that. You have been watching. So we asked people on uh, Twitter before we, before we do record, um, we say we're reviewing the film we're in this case reviewing into the night with phil DeSemlin and nick DeSemlin. tell us your thoughts for an honor shout out um give us your short review and a five and a review out of five stars a score out of five uh dom de niro didn't give a five star review but can one of you read out his his comments sure be happy to um <clears throat> sorry mum. great fucking movie my vhs <laughs> back in the day was well fucked up but never stopped me watching shit hot soundtrack too mm. um that yeah. does, well, Dom De Niro is probably the person, the one of the people that went to see it with Edgar Wright. Absolutely. Um, we also have a short review from uh, our good friend, Top Film Tip, who um, kind of makes little snippets, sna snappy synopses of uh, films that are showing on TV. And this is his synopsis for, for Into the Night. Nick, do you want to take that? Sure thing. Amid existential crisis, Insomniac's nocturnal walkabout finds fateful adventure with fleeing gem-smuggling beauty. Wonderful one-night bottle narrative. Four out of five Jeff Goldblum laughs. Which I, I'd say is a slightly generous... <laughs> very generous. ...interpretation. <laughs> I, there's not a lot of gold, Jeff Goldblum laughs. There's not. Um, um, apart from the, the great slapstick, as discussed. Yeah, absolutely. I love the term bottle narrative. I One-night bottle narrative. Which yeah. bit, where's the comma? It's a, is, it, is a bottle narrative a Stop term? Stop subbing the tweets, sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I think a bit high, bit high. Those two, yeah, two, those two Twitter reviews do not tally with what we thought uh, generally. But maybe they haven't watched it in a while. Yeah, but uh, thanks, guys, for tweeting in. Um, but yeah, overall score of for us for two point six two, which is on the lower side for us. It is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, can you guys sign off and let us know where we can find you online? Uh, your Twitter, Twitter handles, and and things like that. Sure thing. I'm uh, on Twitter as at Nick Desemlian. Yeah. And I'm also on Instagram with the same handle where you'll find some great pictures of trees, which is my specialty. Why trees? What, what do you look for in a tree? I took a picture of a tree and posted it and on Instagram when I was trying to figure out what to use Instagram for. And everyone in the office has made fun of me. Doing it <laughs> so it's become a bit of a hashtag content uh, source for me. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Phil Desemlian. Yeah. And um, I'm not really on Instagram. Oh, no worries. And you both, uh, well, formerly, I'm saying to Phil, formerly of uh, Empire Podcasts. Yeah. Uh, but you're at Time, you can find you on Time Out. Yes. Uh, London, UK for our UK listeners. So, yep. Pick up a magazine. copy of Time Out every Tuesday morning. And tube stations all over the place. And we can find you, Nick, um, Empire Magazine and Empire Podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Okay. Cheers for coming in, guys. Thanks for coming Thank you. Thanks for having okay. me. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find all of the episodes on our website, flickswatcher.tv. Want to give us your five-star review? Follow us at flickswatcherpod on Twitter. Big shout out to our editor, Brendan Russell, for all his awesome editing skills. And thanks as always to the mighty people for their tunes.